4: Everybody and welcome to another episode of 100 words or less the podcast. I'm your host Ray Harkins. If it sounds like I'm tired, I am and I apologize for that. I I don't mean to keep bringing you down because I want these shows to be filled with energy and awesome, but you know, I just can't gloss over the fact that this this year still sucks for me. <laughs> but anyways, that's not why you came here. You came here to hang out with an awesome person. And that awesome person today is one Greg Bennett, the vocalist of a hardcore band called Trial. He also sings for a band called Between Earth and Sky. He's also a corporate speaker. Just such a talented individual. I was so lucky to coax him over to my house one one afternoon and we had amazing conversation. It was kind of weird because he interviewed me for his podcast. And I interviewed him and it was like, dude, this is close to three hours of us talking to one another. This is crazy. But anyways, more on Greg Bennick in a moment. Let's get some things out of the way. I was teasing an update last week or a sort of a special announcement. It, it's coming. Just, just be patient with me. Something cool is coming and I'm excited to share it with you. But it needs to be the appropriate time and the place, okay? That's all I'm letting you know. A previous guest of the show, one of the more popular episodes, was uh, with a gentleman named Rob Moran. He plays in the band Unbroken and Some Girls and Narrows and a bunch of other stuff. But uh, yeah, pop back a few months on this beautiful podcast. I was about to say archives. Yeah, just just dive back in the archives. You can find his show. Uh, for those of you that live in the general Southern California area, he opened up a coffee shop in San Diego called Heartwork Coffee Bar. I have not had the pleasure of visiting it yet. But anytime someone takes a huge risk like Rob has done in opening up a brick-and-mortar business, something that requires people to get off of the internet and visit real-life people in real-life places, it's a hard thing to do. Not only the blood, sweat, and tears that it takes to open up a spot, but then to keep it going and make it successful. So I wanted to encourage all of you to check it out. Just visit heartworkcoffeebar.com, and you'll be able to find the location, see all the cool stuff that they have going on, and I'm just really excited for him because he, he, coffee has been a passion of his for quite some time. So had to put it out there for you people to be aware of it. So yeah, no other business besides just visit the website, 100wordspodcast.com. Sign up for the email list. I send it out once a week, just giving you guys a little update, give you a preview who's coming up on the show and all that other sort of stuff. So Greg Bedick, like I said, he's just a man of many talents and has been involved in the independent music scene for a long, long time. And I don't say that just to make him feel old, but he has. He's, he's been contributing and not just like on the outskirts. He's been in the middle of obviously creating some amazing music and amazing art with some of his friends and all the bands he's done. But then he's also directed documentaries. He has also just done so much humanitarian work especially with Haiti, is currently doing this project called 100 for Haiti. It's incredible. Anytime you see people actually taking the practice of obviously what, punk, hardcore, anything that is involved with independent music and taking it and applying that to the real world, it just gets me so excited because when I was whatever, 18, 19, and when people started to present that idea to me where it's like, it's not just what happens in these walls. It's what you take into your real life. It's what you take to your school, to your place of work, and like how you are as a person and how you are affected at these shows. Obviously, the shows are just entertainment, but the principles that you hopefully learn from that should hopefully apply across the board to every aspect of your life. And Greg is a living example of that. So. I was able to sit down with him one afternoon. He came over to my house. And like I said, we just did a marathon podcast. He did his for me and I did mine for him or vice versa. I don't know how you phrase that, but it was uh, it was a great conversation. Very energetic. Uh, Greg, like me, enjoys to talk. So I was kind of concerned. I was like, I don't know how this is going to go. I don't know if we're going to be like walking over each other. If he's going to be saying something, I'm going to interrupt him. I mean, I know that the critics of this show <laughs> have said that about me a lot, but uh, yeah, I was kind of worried, but it It flowed magnificently. Greg is a gracious host and is also a gracious guest which is it's sometimes it's rare sometimes a person is really good at one thing and terrible at another so probably a lot of people would argue for me as being a terrible host you just want to be interviewed it's like well no that's that's not entirely true i'm like on the defensive right now aren't i i apologize for that that's not it's not meant to come out like that but here's my conversation with greg join me after for a little color commentary on the interview
5: (laughs) i'll talk to you after
4: More Just my own sort of personal entry point to you and everything you've 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 done musically and what have you. But so, like my first experience, I was aware of Trial prior to playing with you guys. So my old band Taken played with you guys when you came down. Oh God, this had to have, yeah, I think '98 or '99, maybe 2000. But you played the PCH Club, and it was it was.
6: I can't believe it. You were the band that played first that night.
4: Yeah, I'm fairly certain. I don't, honestly, I can't remember anything else about the show besides us playing with you guys. Because that was like the main reason we were excited about
6: playing the show. Was this the night that – did Did Countervail play that night? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Did a band called Rainbow Sugar play that night what? and Friends Forever?
4: Oh, outside. That's exactly. right. Exactly.
6: Yes. This is unbelievable because I've been telling the story of this show on right. my spoken word tours for the last two years, all over the world. Right, and I always tell it as these are the bands that played. Yeah, and then sometimes I throw in, and I can't remember, but I'm pretty sure there was an opening band because right. my memory is just.
4: Oh, dude. well, you when you play enough shows, it just kind of it's it's rough. There and you there go, taken, is. taken. I'm I'm glad I filled in that blank. Amazing. I told, but I you filled in the blank of Friends Forever playing because they played after the show.
6: As I remember it. They played in the middle of the show okay. with Rainbow Sugar before them, right. And but they played outside right. in their van. Yeah. Okay, so now that no one has any idea what we're talking about. Right. Let's provide a context. Okay, so in brief, right. if you want to hear the full story, come to the Spoken Word show. <laughs> Perfect outside. teaser. But uh, bands played, and then Rainbow Sugar played, who were kind of this – they were unlike all the other bands. Definitely. They said, Friends Forever will have you at their van In a few minutes. No one knew what that meant, but we all went outside the PCH Mm -hmm. where there was a van on the street. This band played from inside their van. Yep. And there was fireworks shooting out of the van and smoke and strobe lights. And they all had Skeletor masks on. Totally. Two-piece. Two-piece. Drummer in the back, guitarist in the front. I... Remember it, and I think you're right. Okay. I remember it as being more members, but then again, when you've got bottle rockets shooting at your face and strobe lights... (laughs) It doesn't matter. It it could be 30 guys. (laughs) Right, 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 right. Point is, though, they played in their van, and I think... We played after them. I've always remembered – th- we- No, I think you're right. Yeah. Because I just remember thinking there is no reason whatsoever that any other musical anything should happen you're after right. a band plays in a VW microbus like going completely ballistic with fireworks. And that was their thing because I remember they put out like a DVD. Yes. Right. Yes. And that was, their thing was
4: – their their methodology was the fact that they would – show up at shows that they, like, I mean, that show they were welcome. Or at least they had given the show promoter an idea that they were going to come by. Whereas they would go to other shows, like, they would be, like, the parking lot, you know, whatever. Some huge, you know, thousand capacity venue, like, lets out. They're playing in the parking lot, and everyone's surrounding them because it's an event, you know. That was, like, their...
6: This makes it even better because right. I've been telling the story <laughs> yeah. that they went around the country right. messing with people at hardcore shows to disrupt the sort of norms that we'd become accustomed so, to. I,
4: I think that, yeah, it's like, I think they functioned on so many levels. I think it was like a practicality standpoint. I think it was exactly what you're talking about. I think because the impression that I got of these guys too was that they were just like, yeah, they were just like dirty punk kids that were just like, hey, this is like, this is going to kind of blow everyone's mind from that level that you're talking about. And then the level of just like, Hey, we're like, we're just
6: going to roll up in this parking lot and play. We haven't even gotten through the intro yet. My (laughs) life feels so much more complete. I almost have goosebumps right now. (laughs) In fact, I have the beginnings of goosebumps because everything's, everything's in order. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
4: I'm glad we laid out the context. So anyway, I just remember, yeah, we we were excited to play that show. And it it was one of those things where it's like the show was, you know, well attended for a PCH Club show. There's probably, I don't know, 7,500 people there. But it was one of those things, the show left an impression on me because, you know, the way that, uh, you know, you are as a front man and, and trial was as a band was that, you know, you're, the, the music was was an important component of what you were doing, but there was so much more beyond it, you know, not every band obviously exemplifies that. And so it was one of those things that, you know, even as a whatever, I was like 17 or 18, um, it left an impression on me. I was like, okay, like, you know, sort of the, the music with a pulse, like that's a, that's a huge dividing line that happens. Um, And so then after seeing you guys, because trial didn't exist in a popular form until after the band had disbanded, um, it was like, you guys always struck me and tell me this, I guess I am eventually getting to a question. (laughs) Tell (laughs) tell me if the, uh, the response that you guys got when you were initially around wasn't, was, Hey, like we're not that popular, but the people that get us like really get us. We still feel that way. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's, it
6: permeates. Okay, yeah, it's still, Well, I mean, when we were "quote unquote" together, and we're still together, we're actually going to write some new songs this uh, this fall and winter. Not the okay. whole album's worth, but just some songs. Sure. Some so that we're not just standing on stage saying, "Hey, here's a bunch of songs we wrote years ago." Totally, we, we want current songs about current political and social situations. When we were playing as actively as we were in the late '90s. We just weren't like the bands that were popular at mm-hmm. the time. And when we put, our, put out Are These Are Lives, we put out that record without much fanfare. There wasn't a lot of promotion about it. It just came into the world. And then we, through internal struggles, disbanded. Right. And then the internet happened. Now, the internet happened years before that. Totally. But what did happen was with the rise of high-speed internet and people trading not just songs but albums all Of a sudden, people were like, Hey, have you heard this trial? Right, right, now? right. have you heard this? Tri- here's the whole thing, rather right? And just here's a song. And I think word spread so that throughout the early 2000s, that was going on. By the time we played our reunion show in 2005, mm-hmm. things had reached a fever pitch, I Totally,
4: because it definitely is interesting to view the context of, of your band from that perspective where it's like, Yeah, you are right. Like, the I mean, that record came on Equal Vision, and it was like by the time that people could catch up to it you like you weren't readily accessible, right? And that's, it, it is, it is so interesting to see that sort of the bands that resonate longer are the ones that you don't get the immediate touchstones for Sometimes, where it's like, yeah. yeah, sometimes I know it's not like, you know, across the board, but it, it's interesting to to watch that play itself I agree, out. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so, so you yourself, do you born and raised? I have no idea where, where, where you came up at all. That means I can make up anything. I you want. can, you can, I mean, I, cause I, I do, I do some, and the, it's funny because I feel like in hardcore and punk in general, it's like you kind of you you kind of keep up with everybody in the sense of like you're like oh I can place this person sure. in this geographic region, but I, I
6: you I cannot. I'm- okay, I'll tell you the truth. Yeah, yeah. Just to make it. Thank you, simple. I appreciate it. So I, I I grew up in Connecticut on the East Coast. Okay, and I lived there until I was about twenty and then I moved to Seattle. I, I did okay. a year at Syracuse University and dropped out. And after that year at Syracuse, I dropped out. I did a year-long apprenticeship with a mask maker, okay. theatrical mask maker, right. learning about what masks symbolize and how we wear them in our culture and how what, basically what they mean. Right. At the end of this year, he said, so what are you doing next year? And I was you know, 19-ish at the time, and I said, I have no idea. He said, well, I know a guy who teaches at a school out in Seattle, an acting school. You should go out there and try to audition to see what happens. Maybe you like it. And then right. I flew out to Seattle, auditioned, and uh, ended up going to acting school in Seattle at Cornish College of the Arts and stayed okay. after I graduated. And that's where I've been ever since.
4: So the formative year, like where, where in particular in Connecticut, like New Haven? like
6: where- north, north of New Haven, okay. a tiny town called Woodbury, whose okay. claim to fame is that there, it has more – antique stores per capita than any other town or city in the world, which is not very exciting. Right. But that's where I grew up. It was okay. about 45 minutes from the Anthrax. So I grew up in high school going to shows at the Anthrax constantly. Okay. It was so ridiculous. And I just – my favorite memories of high school are just standing around with friends looking at an Anthrax flyer going, huh, agnostic front's playing tonight. Yeah, I guess let's go. We haven't right. seen them since last week. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. <laughs> or, you know, and I have an, – some of those – old anthrax flyers and it's just monday chromax tuesday youth of today wednesday wide awake thursday gorilla right. Biscuits. and just so crazy we would just if there was a school dance we'd go to that and if not we'd go, go some, to a show yeah yeah exactly it was so bizarre yeah just, yeah yeah uh, well yeah you we, were
4: at you were at the ground zero where it's like other people would kill to go to a show like that whereas like it just seemed normal
6: we took it for granted like, totally we so took it for granted that the first time i saw gorilla biscuits mm mm-hmm. Before the explosion of what they really became, <laughs> yeah. my friends and I left after two songs because like, yeah, we yeah. went to Dunkin' Donuts because we thought this this band right. has a stupid name, of course. So why would we stay and watch them when all the other bands have awesome, cool names? <laughs> yeah, and there's Dunkin' Donuts down the street, and they have French Crullers. So let's go eat a French Cruller, which is this like soft, chewy, disgusting, non-vegan thing. Right, right. And um, let's go eat these donuts, and whoever this Gorilla thing is, we'll see them again if they yeah they'll to come back around. around. Right, right. <laughs> they stick around.
4: And so your uh your family structure,
6: you know, mother and father, like brothers and sisters, how how was lay that all out for me. Yeah, it just uh family four, mom, dad, and my brother, and assorted cats and other weird pets and whatnot. I, <laughs> okay. I remember having and I haven't thought about this in a decade, but I had a giant millipede as a pet, as a oh, kid. Okay. Like an actual six-inch long like multi-legged Creature, yeah, yeah, right? yeah. So uh, we had all these weird pets, snakes and salamanders and things. But it was uh, my mom and my dad, my brother and okay. me.
4: And, and your brother, older or younger? Younger, two years younger. Okay. And so uh, what were your parents doing for their profession at the time, like as you were, as
6: you were getting raised? My dad mm-hmm. was always in uh, manage not management, but just business, I guess you'd say. Like he worked sure. for Timex for a long time. And had, oh, okay. He had job titles that when you say them to somebody – you, you kind of gloss over, right? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, totally. And he recognizes that now too, which is fascinating. We were on a walk last year in their in their new home. They live on the East coast in Virginia okay. now. And um, he said to me, you know, if I could do it all over again, I would be a botanist or a veterinarian. Out of nowhere, he said that. Now he's right. in his early seventies, right? Okay. And I thought, what if I had spent my entire life in a, in a suit, you know, and at, at Timex, he worked at Chase Manhattan Bank and all these places doing things that as he was growing up, he thought he was supposed to do to provide for his family. Sure. What if at the end of my life I realized, wow, I could have done it all differently? Is this really potent moment for yeah, us? Yeah, like yeah,
4: yeah. Especially like like apropos of nothing, he brings that up. Or exactly. it's just like,
6: oh, oh, wow, that's that says a lot. It says a lot. Now to his credit, he yeah. did bail out of the corporate world uh-huh. maybe fifteen years before he retired and started doing the same thing he was doing in a suit every day. But just from home, She started working from home, oh, doing nice. his own thing, which is very sure, cool. Sure. Because anytime you get to work from home, you know, yeah, you know, that's just brilliant. So, right. Anyway, my mom has a little more interesting. Not to not to shoot my <laughs> father down, <laughs> right, but right, right. Every ten years, she changes her profession. So really? she was an aerobics instructor for 10 years, starting at age like 40 or something. Yeah. And then she was a hypnotherapist for 10 years. Okay. And she was a school teacher before that. And then she was yeah, like just
4: it, intentional. Like in, she,
6: intentionally. Really? Oh, yeah. yeah, wow. To keep things interesting and right. to try things she'd never she tried before. She just burn it down and start over in some like, capacity. Absolutely. Like aerobics instructor, done. Yeah. And then now I'm training <laughs> as a hypnotherapist and now people come to me and they lose weight and stop smoking. Right. And then that's over. And now I start something new just to keep life fresh Right, I mean, talk about inspiration. I mean,
4: totally. Well, that's it. And that's a huge juxtaposition within the home of what your father was doing. I, I can just imagine the sort of yin and yang that your parents have with one another and your father like, Oh, I feel like I need to be the anchor. I'm, I'm anchoring into this. And your mom's just like,
6: I'm whatever. Right. And I wonder, and I've never asked him, I wonder if my dad's choice to stop commuting into New York City in a suit every day and instead mm-hmm. of work from home was inspired by the fact that my mom was. He was watching her do all this cool stuff. Doing all this sure, cool stuff that she sure. just wanted to try. Right.
4: So, yeah, yeah it sounds it sounds like the, the, the household was um, kind of a, alive from a sort of like creative energy standpoint. Like, do you know? To a certain extent, I'm Absolutely. sure. Absolutely. Okay. And, okay. I,
6: and I mean, and the only reason I hesitate is because of how true your, your assumption is, okay. meaning that even, even in the midst of the corporate life that my father was living, he was constantly wanting to be outside. He's hiked the entire Appalachian Trail, you know, Springer <sighs> Mountain to Mount Katahdin in Maine, the whole thing, mm-hmm. constantly in the woods, constantly just surrounding himself with nature and whatnot, talking about it, thinking about it. So he had another world other than just suits and ties. My mom, as a school teacher, was brilliant, and she's she's still. I don't want to put her in past tense, like she's, right, 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 right. She's still alive. Uh, she, when she was a school teacher in the '60s in Philadelphia, she was brilliant, and she just recently told me stories too that made me realize that she was brilliant. Mm-hmm. Things like, she, you know, and I and I'm going to have a hard time coming up with specific examples sure. that have the impact for your listeners that they had on me, right? But just she she taught in an inner city school. And she was the only white person at the school and received a lot of flack for that in the in the era that she was teaching, nineteen sixty six, sixty-seven and sure. whatnot. So what she did rather than quit was try to use her humanity and creativity to invite people in to a more family sense okay. in the community. Sure. So the school told her that assemblies don't work. When you get these kids together, they just fight. Right. And she said, "Well why don't I read some stories to them?" and literally made it so that the school had story time with her reading stories to the class and to assemblies, which doesn't sound like you know your listeners aren't going yeah wow, right story time, but as I imagine my mom mm-hmm. having been told by everybody, you can't do this, and she says, "No, I think I actually can. let's try it out right let's try to inject a little humanity in this, and she showed me books when I was at her house last uh, that these are the actual books that I read stories from to uh-huh. reach these kids, and she said that these kids like wide eyed, sure. like you're reading stories to us instead of treating us like caged animals. Of like, course, right? You're paying attention to you're us, paying right? attention and giving us of yourself, and and assuming that we will give of ourselves back to you she said that it was tremendous and she did things like this all the time so that's the kind of creative energy that they brought to uh, wow that's incredible like
4: you do look at your parents from their their sort of profession and it's like when you are able to at least just get like a sliver of like oh wow like you're really good at what you do it's like it as a child you like beam with pride you're just like oh like that's awesome.
6: Yeah. And you start to realize, you know, yeah. you know, my dad always had stories of like being rebellious and whatnot within the, the, the corporate environment that he lived. Mm-hmm. And I can't think of any off the top of my head, but there was always, it wasn't just him showing up at work like a drone, yeah, but rather yeah. him, you know, messing with superiors sure. and, and fellow folks. Yeah. En-
4: engaging in ways
6: that you typically don't see within that context. Okay. So yeah. you take that yeah. and then you add my mom and the way that she approached authority Mm-hmm. And it was a perfect sort of um, environment yeah, for yeah. me to grow up in. As it was, uh, the, it was the
4: petri dish for what you obviously have, for punk become. rock and creativity. Totally, yeah, totally. Um, and so then, as you as you started to matriculate and and you know get to high school and all the, the you know the anthrax days, like you're talking about, it's funny that you mentioned you were. I mean, for lack of a better term, like a theater kid, because the, like that describes like uh, that describes you to a T Like <laughs> to the to this day right now. It's like, I see that. I'm like, of course, like I see why you can get in front of people in d- many different contexts and like be comfortable because right. like so many people, you know, the public speaking thing, people are just like, <gasps> like, yeah, they're ter- terrified of it. Yeah. Yeah. They're terrified. Deer after. in headlights.
5: The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. help.
4: um so did you you know in high school were you drawn to sort of the dramatic arts and that sort of stuff as well I did a or? little
6: bit of it okay i've always and i went to you know college as i said for for theater right and acting but i was always put off by that and i am not offended by you saying a theater kid because i know exactly what you mean totally. i was always put off by that theater kid showy look at me look at me look at me that's true and i remember in college there was one day where we were in a, a giant, for lack of a better word, gymnasium-type theater space. Mm-hmm. And there was a huge ladder that went up to the light grid up above. And before class had started, I climbed the, the ladder because I wanted to be away from all my classmates. And I was sitting up on top of this ladder, like literally 30 feet off the 20 – feet, 25 feet off the floor, just sitting on this ladder, just watching my classmates get ready for this movement class. And the doors swing open. And this girl walks in, her name was Liz, and she says, I'm here, oh. and throws her you, you imagine the theater girl, oh, yeah. theater person, theater right. person, you, know, you know, just like that sort of personality, throws her arms out to the side, I'm here. And I remember thinking, I wonder if I could jump from this ladder onto her head. What are the chances that I will kill her but not myself? And I actually sat there trying to figure out, <laughs> yeah. like the will geometry I die? of it, right? Yeah, because if I die, it, I've, I've ruined the whole thing. Of but course, if she dies, I win, and the class is going to be better. So, can I do that? And I thought, nah, I just climbed down the ladder, like a, right, you know. right. But uh, so that whole theater kid, sure. The whole made the whole ego,
4: right? The whole because <clears throat> there is obviously an element, not an element, but there is a central theme of you know ego within the context of performing. Sure. Of like, yeah, like you're saying, like, look at me. But then it's like, it, obviously, the people that become good at that craft are able to, like,
6: use that ego for good as opposed to look at myself. Like, look at me. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and, and the thing is, and not to get too so heady on this yeah, stuff, yeah. but but the a true performer recognizes that it's not about them but about the audience, mm-hmm. entirely about the audience. And the deepest bow that a performer – the deepest point of the performer's bow should be taken as the audience's – standing up and leaving the theater because at that point the audience has given all of its time to that performance Mm -hmm. and the performer must be so respectful of that in that moment. It's not about self-glorification but rather honoring the time spent by the audience for what they've given. Right. So
4: invested, sure.
6: So in high school, I dabble a little bit in theater because it's fun to be in plays and it's fun to screw around with your friends and whatnot. But I never really pursued actively that sort of theatrical – Right. Acting world, just because it—I I already saw it. it It's—it'll it, it'll infect you. It'll make you crazy because yeah. you start to crave the attention. You start to crave the ego gratification. And I just wanted to diminish that a bit, I think. Yeah. Even, even in high school, the intro
4: to independent music and obviously being, you know, that, that took place in high school, I presume. As yeah, far absolutely.
6: As, yeah. Yeah. For sure. And that
4: was uh, like, I mean, I think I remember in some of the, the other interviews I was reading, um, that was just like an older friend, like a bootleg radio station, like that.
6: <laughs> well, there was, yeah. What happened was my friend, Chris. Yeah. And this is probably in ninth grade, eighth grade. I can't remember in the moment, but he lived up the street from me. Okay. And there was a radio station called WXCI in Danbury, Connecticut. They had a show called Adventure Jukebox. And he started coming over to my house, saying, "Listen, I'm listening to this thing called Adventure Jukebox, and you got to check it out." And we, we listened to a few episodes; and it was cool. But then he had this idea: this is going to date me as like this archaic, <laughs> right, ancient, right, right. like trilobite that you've right. just like hammered out of rock, and then I'm now speaking into a microphone. But he climbed up on his roof with an antenna. Mm-hmm. And he – on his parents' roof and he installed this antenna and pointed it toward New York City Perfect. Okay, to pick up more strongly some type of radio something. I don't even know where his logic reason, yeah. or, or science was. But I know that after doing this, he came over to my house with these punk rock recordings and hip-hop recordings that he s- supposedly had gotten from New York City. For all I know, the kid was a psychopath and he was just like, <laughs>
4: right. like copying this is a narrative cassettes. He's, right. <laughs> Yeah, totally. I didn't see
6: him put the antenna up. You know? Right, right. One day there was an antenna. He told me the story. It's like, okay, great. But he came over to my house with these this music, and it just blew my mind. So it was kind of like bootleg ish recordings, right, right. But supposedly from this manic system of technology that he developed and put on his parents' <laughs> roof.
4: Had you been? Had you? Was music even kind of a, a, a focal point in your life before that?
6: Hugely so. But okay. metal, but but metal, right? Okay. So you know put it in the in the in the context of the time this is the early 80s oh yeah so you, you can't know, escape that absolutely so metal became a thing in america w- what year was the us festival 1983 82 sure. 83 whatever that the metal day was at mm-hmm. the us festival so you know, at that point, you know, if you were 10, 11 years old in America, your mind was blown to unbelievable bits by, you <laughs> yeah. know, by whoever was coming up, you know, Motley Crue and Dio and Judas Priest and whatnot. So that was my reality. Got you it. Know? And as like when Rat, Round and Round, when that song came out, that was the That was changer. it did
4: you identify with the fashion sense as well? Or were you adopting that in your lifestyle as well?
6: Here's the thing. I have never had fashion sense. In fact, my attire today proof of that. Like I got got out of the car today. I'm like brushing like crumbs from kale chips off myself. Like, oh, right, nice to see you. Yeah, yeah. Okay, no fashion sense. So back then I'm painting a picture of myself (laughs) as I had hair that was parted in the middle and that kind of feathered down the sides and the back. And then parachute pants, Nike high tops, like white Nike high tops. And then I can't remember, I had this black shirt that had zippers on it, like oh in my different gosh, directions. Yeah. And in my mind, that was heavy metal. Yeah. Like, you were edgy. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I remember my brother and I went to see, I think it was ZZ Top on the Eliminator Tour. So I, I might have <laughs> been 14. Right. And we got out of the car, and I had like tied like these like, like uh, bits of fabric around my fingers and my oh, yeah. wrists and what, you know what I'm saying? Like that totally. kind of tattered metal look. Yeah. And I remember getting out of the car and I was like walking down the street with this like saunter almost. Like I thought it was so cool. And these older guys were standing off to the side of the, of the, the, the Coliseum. And one of them turned to his friend and like kind of went, <laughs> and, he, and he said, what's that? The bad look. My brother still says to me, what's that? The bad look? All the time. No matter what I'm wearing. Like, yeah, 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 Oh, that's that's the bad look? Yeah, I could be wearing like a shirt of a band that my brother likes. Like, And, right. and he'll just be like, oh, what's that? The bad look? Still, like this is like 30 years later. Reference point. But that, that, was a, that was a game-changing moment for me. I was just like, oh my gosh, this is all a costume and a complete waste of time. Right. What am I doing? Right. <laughs> so you're like, I took so much effort into this and it's
4: clearly not paying off. Yeah, this is the bad look. And, and you know, kind of like, I mean, I wouldn't say fast-forwarding, but look- Looking at your, uh, you know, I mean, clearly like all the the lyrical content that was contained in, in what you did with trial um, and obviously all of the, uh, you know, the focus that you have
6: on, you know, human
4: suffering and, you know, the the plight of, you know, just being a human. You're a very
6: sensitive guy. Am I correct in that? Very, very much so. Like the fact that you just said that almost made me cry. Because right. <laughs> <laughs> like it, it is one of those things where it's
4: like, you know, I'm honestly surprised, too, that you have a brother because it's like there are a lot of earmarks that just in telling me that the uh you know the only childness and i identify with this because i'm an only child i don't have brothers or sisters so it's like and i am like sensitive to a fault where it's just like yeah, yeah like at the drop of a hat it's like okay yeah <laughs> oh, let's try to contain myself and it's like but so it, it's it's interesting to see that kind of like through line so did you you know when did you first start to like recognize in yourself that sort of I guess, proclivity to being like a sensitive dude.
6: Because there's so many barriers of that. There's so many barriers. And I think that our our upbringing as as guys, boys, men in our society leads us to suppressing our sensitivity. And the irony in that is that the longer that I'm involved in hardcore and Mm -hmm. the longer that I'm devoted to it, I see more and more proof that we are all extremely sensitive in it and that our rage and anger... Sort of masks an inner, maybe brokenness, or even I won't even make that judgment. An inner sensitivity in, right. in people, and I see it across the board. No matter how, how tough people are, <sighs> that it's because their their hearts are hurting, or because their minds are hurting, or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Okay, so when I realized that I was uh, sensitive like that, probably when I was a little kid, I was watching the the Charlie Brown Chris the Charlie Brown Halloween special. Yeah, and every everybody you know walks around getting getting their candy. And he gets like a rock in his bag or something like that. Yeah, Am yeah. I remembering this correctly? Yeah, I know. I think you're right. Because yeah, yeah. you've brought up something which obviously was traumatic for me as, <laughs> right, as a child. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, and I'm yeah. going to have to seek therapy now. But I remember he got gets a rock or, or something. or And I remember crying about uh-huh. that, like being upset. And my brother making fun of me so much that I was crying at the Charlie Brown Halloween special. Sure. And uh, I just sniffled organically. That was not me. Yeah, <laughs> but he's, a, uh, <laughs> he's okay. He's keeping it together right here. <laughs> but I remember thinking, "What is wrong with me? Why am I crying at this ridiculous cartoon?" Charlie Brown is this, you know, fictitious large-headed you know, child and I don't know him. He doesn't exist. He's drawn by some artist. Why am I crying at his plight? Right. And and then I realized, you know, it's because he represents something, not getting what you want and having expectations and hopes dashed. And it was probably right around then I might've been, I don't know, seven or eight that I realized that life is essentially meaningless and futile and all, you know, all of our endeavors (laughs) end in tears. Yeah, that was you're like. Well, I can extrapolate from here. It was over. <laughs> it's over. It's summarized. It's all over.
4: So then, as you as you move, you know, as you matriculate through high school, and obviously, like you were talking about, you know, going to Seattle and you know, kind of finding your place there. Um, did. Did you have a notion in your head of, like, the band life, like, being your thing? Like, did you want to be in a band? Was that, like...
6: Yeah, it's interesting because I didn't quite find my place in acting school because I never wanted to be an actor. And by the time I got to acting school, like I was saying, I had kind of distanced myself in high school from diving into theater. Mm -hmm. I already knew I didn't want to be an actor, but I knew that acting training... would help develop my skills as a speaker on stage. So if I got a degree in acting, I most definitely presentationally would be stronger from the stage and be able to be more of a conduit for ideas and feelings and whatnot. So it took me a while in school to quote unquote find my place and I never quite found it. And there was one day I was sitting with a professor, uh, a um, a Shakespeare teacher, Mm -hmm. and he just out of nowhere asked me, he said, Greg, what's missing? Something's missing in you that you're not getting here and I can tell and we can all tell what is it? And I said to him, well, you know, I'd had this you know punk rock band in high school and I, you know, I've always been missing being in Connecticut since I've been so far away and I don't have another band here. And I've always wanted to have that be a means of artistic expression. Mm-hmm. I don't see myself, you know, playing Hamlet and getting out of it, what I need, you, <laughs> right, know, you right. know, great play and everything. But we had a, a quick conversation about, fulfilling yourself through actively seeking those parts of you that are are missing and then putting the pieces back in. Okay. And it was in that moment that I thought, wow, maybe I'll do a band at some point out here. Maybe I won't just keep dreaming of going back to Connecticut and redoing process of elimination, my high school band. But rather maybe I'll start something out here at some point. And that's kind of was that was in my mind as I graduated from acting school. But
4: it it just didn't the notion of starting something in Seattle just didn't it seemed too foreign.
6: To you. Yeah, I mean, I knew a handful of people. When I yeah. when I came out to Seattle, I always remember, it's a funny story. I, there was a, a show at a, a club called the OK Hotel, Undertow was opening for Poison Idea. This is January of 1991. Okay, And I went to see the show, first show I saw in Seattle, just wondering, I wonder what the scene is yeah, like. Yeah, what's, what's it like? Yeah. So I went to see Undertow, and I was like, my gosh, these, these kids are like me. They seem to be straight edge. They seem to be excited about hardcore. And then Poison Idea played, and I was like, they're very large and scary, and at right. least their singer was. <laughs> right. Um, after the show, the Undertow band members and their three or four maybe friends were standing around, and I went up to them. I said, I'm Greg. I'm, I'm, I've just moved here. I'm from. Or, I was, at the time, I was about to move there. I came out to visit first. Okay. I'm about to move here. And I, I'm, I'm from Connecticut, you know, how big is the straight edge scene out here? And I always remember John Pettibone, like looking at his literally eight friends and band members. Right. And he just kind of went, we're, we're it. Right. Like, you oh. got it. Yeah. Us. And, and he's like, there's, I think there's two more people around here. And he's, you know, probably referring to, I don't think Ron gardapi was at the show, but at the time, you know, he was <laughs> right. somewhere in the, in the ether in Seattle and whatnot. Yeah. Around. Point being, that was it. There's eight or 10 kids. So I had this idea that I wanted to be supportive of the Seattle, at the time, smaller than it is now, certainly, hardcore scene. But I didn't think, yeah, I'm going to go out and get a guitar and learn how to play or I'm going to try to right. sing. How, what a foreign concept. So you know? what,
4: did you, what did you do in
6: process of elimination? I played drums. Oh, okay. I mean, that's, that's a stretch. Yeah, loosely, I, I, right. I, I, I hit drums right somewhat in time i mean i mean seriously i had like a four-piece drum set and like six roto toms that i bought from an ad in the newspaper so good so i had like roto toms and like it was just a mess it was a total mess. But yeah, we played a handful of shows, you know, and then put out a seven inch actually. That's spectacular.
4: Yeah. Yeah. You were doing something. Yeah. they are doing something. Right. Right. Come right. On. And so then, so then obviously as you started to, you know, as trial started to, you know, exist more, um, you know, something that I personally noticed just from an outsider's perspective, where it was like, what we were alluding to earlier in regards to, you know, trial never being, you know, recognized while you guys existed. Um, and then obviously like the reunion shows and, but, When Burning Fight happened, to me, it was so shocking the reaction that you guys got there in Chicago because it's like, I'm like, okay, here's a band that was, you know, West Coast based, like had very rarely been to the Midwest or the East Coast. A handful of times at most. Right. And it was just like it was such an outpour of like – I mean I'm sure that show – in your head is still just
6: like, what? Like Yeah, that, the reunion shows in 2005, mind-blowing. Mm-hmm. And, and then Burning Fight as well. And the progression was crazy because, I mean, we started playing. We started touring. We started playing music that was important to us. And, of course, in the 90s, there was more idea-driven music. Definitely. But for some reason, Trial never – and it was okay with us. Trial never broke out as the band that everybody knew and listened to everywhere. It just right. – we weren't – it was, that was the era of the, uh, it was just the era of different bands. It was just, the, totally. you know, just the era of different styles. And well, and you
4: got, like, yeah, you guys, you guys were this weird, um, you guys hit at a time where it was like, you know, metalcore had, you know, starting to rise to prominence with like Poison the Well. And like, it, it was such a weird place for you guys to be because it was like, it's like, yeah, you had your American Nightmares and Bane that were, were existing on the East Coast, but it was like the West Coast didn't really feel. Like a stronghold for this, this the weird style of music that you guys were playing, which was a, a, a mishmash of both of those sort of old school and metal
6: chord. Like with, it didn't make sense. And with our these are lives, like yeah, that was sort of a, such a change from the other two records. Totally, that just, none of it made sense, and no, that's no. and that's okay. Like I want right. that. I mean, I started out after the metal years as a punk rock kid. Right. So at the core, punk rock is always in my in my heart, mm-hmm. and the idea is like I don't necessarily want to be like cookie cutter hardcore bands right. if that's what's existing not saying that those bands you named are cookie cutter but I just it was okay that not everybody was on board and we weren't having a thousand kids at every show and all these pylons and sing I it was okay to be different totally so when we announced the reunion shows in 2005 yep. not even re- announced them Tim and I had Thai food one night and he said we should do you know these shows okay great and he was talking about booking numos, and I was like, "Dude, that's an 800 capacity room. Like, yeah. it's gonna feel so dumb when there's only 100 kids." In there. <laughs> right, 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 right. He's like, "Well, you know, we should, you know, go for it. We should try it." Well, when it sold out in a day or whatever it was, yep. or a week, it was so ridiculous. I thought it was a joke. I honestly thought some rich benefactor had bought 800 <laughs> tickets. Right. And like, literally, there'd be like, he'd give out three of them, or she would give out three of them, and there'd that be was three it. people. That was it. Right. You know, ha ha ha, jokes on us. So that show in 2005 was insane. And then London sold out and Budapest sold out. And it's like, right. wait, what the That's, hell is happening? Right. After that, we had an agreement amongst the band. We were not going to play again. Mm-hmm. And it was because one member of the band, I don't want to single out the member, but one yeah. member said, this music is too emotionally potent at this point because it's finally come into its own. Right. And the songs are too emotionally potent for he, he to, to play. He just basically said, I, I don't want to. It's I, too raw. I, it's, sure. too, it's too much. I was like, I honor that completely, the end. So then all of a sudden, four years goes by, and I get a call about Burning Fight. It's, hey, do you want to do a show next May? It was like 10 months away. Totally. You know, Disembodied, and Bane, and 108, and, you know, all these bands. Yeah. And I was like, listen, I have to call one of my band members. And I sent a text, and, you know, I, I said, listen, do you want to do this show in May with all these bands? And it was like, I don't even think I'd hit send, and I got the reply back that said, yes, 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 yes. It was so instant was the reply. I'm like, okay, good. Let's, let's do this. Let's right. do it. And when we showed up for for Burning Fight, we all had an, an agreement. We're just mm. like, this is going to be the weekend of disembodied. Meaning, disembodied we was going to just own this entire event. Every sure. other band that was playing, with the exception of Unbroken, obviously, Unbroken, totally, you know. But this is going to be the weekend of disembodied. That everybody everybody else is just a support band for that set. Right. I never dreamed in a million years that we would get the response. That
4: that's And that's what it was because, I mean, I, I went to the 2005 reunion show. It, I, I forgot that so much time had elapsed between those two events um, because it didn't. I, I felt like going up to Seattle to watch you guys was just like, I need to do this because I don't think that you are going to exist. I was just like, well, this is the last time. Um, but then in, in going to Burning Fight as well, like like I said, it was so, it was so jaw-dropping for me just to be like, Why should the Midwest identify with this? Like, I mean, I I still am so region centric when it comes to bands because you're like, oh, this band doesn't do well in the South or whatever. You know, it's like so I was just surprised that it was such a a, and honestly, for to me, it felt like at that point it was like trial had been, quote unquote, legitimized In, in, in in a nationwide sense of 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 where your sort of
6: legacy would end up. Yeah, I mean, it made it made no sense. I still, when I start to think about that sort of stuff, my head starts spinning. You <laughs> right, know? right. But the fact is that we have played shows since then, of too, course. and including then, where, uh, around, like in Moscow, like playing in Moscow and St. Petersburg. St. Right. Peter- Petersburg in Russia was insanity, like yeah. unbelievable insanity. And I think wow, people have heard of our band. I still, to this day, wander around thinking like- That's weird. Yeah, well, yeah, that's weird. (laughs) That's weird, you know? But it goes back to the Charlie Brown thing where I think, you know, like, yeah, everything I've done is essentially meaningless, not just in in a grand sense, but for all people. You know, so I still have this kind of voice in the back of my head. I think that that's common amongst artists and humans in general. but, Mm -hmm. But the fact is, when we play- it's not like 800 kids a night. Sometimes yeah. it's 30, sure. sort of 50, but still it, the music means it elicit-
4: And it elicits a response. Absolutely. And that—that that, I think that's the thing where it's like if any, you know, whatever artist or musician can look at like, if you're impacting one person, like you're doing great.
7: Mm-hmm. And it's
4: like, and that I think that gets lost a lot of the time where it's just like, it doesn't matter. You're always going to look at like who wasn't into you or where you didn't get. Always. But you should look at the fact that it's like, well, we did impact these people that still like. You know, for every sense of of the term, people should not be paying attention to what trial is in 2014 or even 2010. But it's like that they do. <laughs> right, right, right.
6: I'm fascinated to see what happens next because sure. as we as we write a couple new songs and as we start to play out more, our ambition is not to play the burning fights, fluff fest, eperfest. Although sure you we know, won't say no to that of right. course and there's there's you know kind of this quasi maybe will it happen plan to tour europe and play fluff fest Eber fest at some point you know mm-hmm. i love those fests i love those experiences but i'll tell you what i love too and i'm even getting goosebumpy now thinking it's about great. this i want to do garages i want to do small shows i want to and tim does too and the other members of the band do too we want to play shows where it's 50 kids 30 kids you know in 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 a small room who are just f- focused and get it and just in Seattle, we want to be a local hardcore band. We don't right. want to be a band that plays once a year at the big show type of thing. And we had some shows this spring that were just us playing at the local YMCA with local bands. And it was so great. Like, right. I just love that feeling. You know, there's just something about that that's very, um, very real. Sure. I, I would say it with a question mark at the end because yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. but, but it really is. It just feels so like well, authentic. It's, it's, and,
4: right. It's rooted. Yeah. It's, it's rooted in something that is – Is obviously familiar to anybody who has obviously played in bands, where it's like, because yeah, those like large shows are not
6: normal. That's the key, right? Because I was hoping you weren't going to say they're not, and then say something about how you know connected to the audience because they are connected to the audience, right? But they are not normal. No. If if there was a hardcore show tonight here in your city, we'd go to it, and there'd be fifty people there. Sure. There would not be three thousand. No. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Yeah. The, the, what's special about those to me, it's like, it's just, you feel more of a, like a part of something in a holistic sense when you're just like, wow, there's so many people here and this is so impressive. You feel connected to all those people in the room, but it's like when you are rooted at those 50 to hundred person shows, it's like, oh, like this, like this who's here. This is who's here right now. Absolutely.
6: Yeah. It's amazing. So immediate. And I mean, I watched the video. There's a video on Vimeo. I uh-huh. think I posted it to Vimeo of trial fluff fest. It's the full set of trial at fluff fest. And the end of it is is so ridiculous. Yeah, the number of people that were on stage singing along—it's so crazy. And I watched that, I'm like, that ha- that happened. Right. Like, it's so affirming, and I just I love that so much. I just can't believe that it actually happened in my life. I got to experience something that amazing. Right. And I wonder if it was that way every night. If it would just lose its potency totally
4: yeah yeah. I wonder so you're, you're trying to have both experience you're trying to have your cake and eat it too which is awesome yeah he, uh you know a lot of people are, are I, I mean i wouldn't even call it a joke but in the sense of where it's like oh yeah you like yeah, yeah greg juggles like you know greg juggles and greg greg is he's a professional speaker because it, it, it's always one of those things where you're just like people what like yeah. really like that's yeah. a that's a thing and so like I was joking about earlier where it's like, you know, a renaissance man, because it's like, obviously it's like, you've done films, you've done, um, you know, documentaries and you've, you've, you've participated a lot in the creative arts. Do you ever that sort of, you know, jack of all trades, master of none sort of scenario where, I mean, cause I, I, I'm projecting on you my own feelings because I have, I mean, there's definitely, I do a lot of things and I always feel where it's like, Would my life be more, uh, whatever,
6: meaningful if I was just like, I just did this one thing? Because that's what most people do. I think about this every day. Okay. It goes back to me sitting in my room, maybe 15 years old, and I was interested in... Juggling, which I had just learned a couple years before, Uh really into punk rock. I was writing letters constantly to zines and bands, like constantly (laughs) writing letters, like all day, all night, every night. Interested in school, more or less, and friends. And my father walked in the room and he saw my room, which is just this explosion of just going different directions. And he said to me, you know, Gregory, there's a problem here. He said, you're kind of like a shotgun, you're shooting shotgun pellets, you know, in all different directions or, you know, in a spray of directions. He said, you need to be more like a, a pistol that shoots one bullet in one direction with accuracy and hits the target. Mm-hmm. And I said, can I be a shotgun that shoots bullets? Like just have yeah, yeah. bullets go in all the directions. <laughs> totally, totally. I've thought about this my entire life. What, sure. if, what if I just focused on Rubik's Cube? Like, I got into Rubik's Cube this year. Yeah. yeah. I got my time down under about two minutes. I can solve a Rubik's Cube in two minutes. I feel like a God walking the earth in terms of Rubik's Cube. (laughs) But let's be realistic. Anybody with half a brain can learn to solve a Rubik's Cube and get their time under two, three minutes or so. If you can get your time under 45 seconds, that's next level. But it requires that next push of real mental agility real devotion real focus to do that so right now i've got a cool party trick it's like hey check me out i'm so cool i'm so cool i'm so cool but like would i be willing to devote myself to being the best at rubik's cube right you know world record 5.55 seconds i think right now for rubik's would i be willing to do that or chess for example i love playing chess Uh sure if we played maybe i win maybe you win but getting to that next level in chess right Case in point, when trial formed, I was playing chess all the time. And I actually made a decision when trial formed. I was like, I can either play chess or I can do hardcore. I cannot do both. I cannot write lyrics and play chess. In addition to all the other things going on, I chose hardcore.
7: What exactly are the duties of being a member of the wedding party?
1: All that plus so much more.
7: Let's learn about all of it and then some. Listen to Grown Up Stuff How to Adult on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Grown Up Stuff
6: What if I focused? I think about this all the time. Yeah,
4: yeah, yeah. That, that sort of hyperactivity goes to the point I think it's so it it definitely is pervasive with subcultures in general just because it's like it's too fun to say yes to stuff, like when stuff gets presented to you. I'm sure you're the same way where it's like in looking, you know, just doing some simple research on you. For me, it was it's intimidating to interview you because everyone's fucking talked to you. You've, <laughs> said, you've said yes to probably 98% of the interviews and for one, because you're a really nice guy, uh, for two, because you're pretty easily accessible. Like, people can't get in touch with you. So I, you know, in my head, I'm just like, dude, what am I going to like uncover in Greg that hasn't been talked about by, you know, Joe's blog on Tumblr? Like, so it's like it, it it is interesting to where you know you yourself have those 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 disconnected moments where you're just like oh like I, maybe maybe I should put more of my energy into this and I'm sure it's like a, a movable thing for you where it's like okay well trials not going to be this thing now I obviously need to you know make a living from my my professional speaking or whatever like all these inputs have to kind of level you out and sure in some respects Yeah
6: and keep, and keep in mind so far we've established Yeah that I'm a disconnected master of nothing who doesn't know how to say no to people. That's what we've gotten so far to this interview. So if you've just tuned in so far, you're totally caught up. Okay, that's good. Yeah, totally caught up. Right. So <laughs> um, my thought is that life is so short and we don't know how short it's going to be. It could be two seconds from now, plane crashes in the house, we're dead. That's right. totally realistic in my, in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, why wouldn't we say yes to every amazing possibility that comes up i mean within reason you know sure. if somebody calls us from cleveland right now and says hey dude <laughs> let's get out right right You're like we're not gonna get in the car and drive there it's a little inconvenient right but within reason why not say yes to every possibility sure i want to learn how to do rubik's cube yeah juggling's fun oh really i can make a living at juggling if i try hard enough okay let's do that that sounds interesting oh hardcore band that sounds really cool too right why not Pursue a life that is rich with possibility if Mm -hmm. you can make it happen because I'll tell you what the alternative is I could go get a job and work 40 hours 60 hours a week stress myself out lose my mind I had a conversation Last week, and I'm not saying those are the only two options Or if you have a job that your life is over But I have a conversation last week with a friend of mine who's who's waiting tables and you know She's my age and she's waiting tables and she was saying, you know, maybe I could do something different I have been thinking that my entire life. Maybe I could do something different, but from the other standpoint of I am not going to engage in a life that I don't don't want and I don't want to be living. I right. engage in a life that I want to be living, that I in this sort of Nietzschean recurrence, if I'm using that term correctly, sure. that I would live again and again for all of eternity. If okay. I could. And that sometimes spreads me in a number of different directions. And you know what? Maybe my dad was right. Maybe if I was the most focused person archer or something i'd be right. world famous and you know and, and rich and happy but i'm happy right now with my rubik's cube metal detecting nerddom that i've yeah, involved yeah, myself yeah. in you know? right the, the the obsessions
4: that you can you can dive down and, and just obviously never find an end to
6: yeah and, and don't get me wrong like i was out on uh out on the beach in huntington the other night until yeah. 5 a.m metal detecting it was awesome i found six dollars and uh six dollars in coins and it was the best time of my life in yeah in that moment, in that moment. sure why would I give that up to be in a life where I had to wake up early, commute to L.A. to be in a job that I didn't like in hopes that on the weekend I'd have enough energy and time to do the thing that I want to do? Right. That's insanity. Sure. Doesn't make sense. In yeah,
4: life. yeah, totally. I think – I mean the most important point that you hit on that I think that I, I know that you encourage from just like you know your, your speaking engagements and like what you do in front of people – if you have to do that, like that, that's a reality. We all live in the world. We all have to make money, and if you have to do that, you just have to reconcile the fact, like you can't be worn down, but you to engage in your other things on the weekends or whenever, whenever you have that time. That's kind, when when the energy right. is sapped from you. That's when it's like you know. That's when, in my mind, and probably in your mind, you've lost.
6: What kind of life is that? Right. And, and again, like when people have day jobs, I don't sit around and think less of them. Right. But what I wonder is. How many people have ever asked themselves, what's an alternative? Sure. And I didn't have parents that just kept feeding me money to keep me alive while I was like, oh, I think I'll just (laughs) juggle and metal detect and Rubik's Cube my way through life. It wasn't like I've I've got a trust fund backing me. Right. But rather I said early on, I wonder if. Mm -hmm. And the wonder if was, I wonder if I could make a living through just being creative and doing art. And by art at the time, it meant through juggling and making people laugh. Right. And then it was like, I wonder if I could piece together a living doing this and adding this into the mix, and all of a sudden, here it is. we're doing this interview on a Monday. I'm yeah, not yeah. at work like, right. you know, but my work encompasses the creativity and and all of it put together, even if I don't make money from doing your podcast. As I don't expect to and I' right. won't. <laughs> right. It's the life that I want to be living on more my terms than I would have lived had I not ever asked that question. what, sure. what if I wonder if
4: yeah what yeah what's what's underneath that rock over there? When you When you started to do um, the you know professional speaking stuff and like the corporate gigs and like you know doing um, because that you know that seems left of center in the sense of like, you know, oh, a punk rock hardcore kid getting up in front of you know whatever Microsoft and doing a presentation, was it was it weird for you to make the adjustment, not even so much from like an ethical standpoint because it's like, dude, well, I mean, I'm not questioning the fact like sure, of sure, course, sure. like you you would get up in front and if you're able to influence people, at a uh, an event like a, a corporate speaking gig, why would you not want to show people another side of creativity like that I'm not putting in question but you in your own head of like the you know sort of the performer nature like you know you getting up on stage like was it a difficult transition for you to like
6: you know fronting a hardcore
4: band to being like hey I'm gonna be in front of people
6: and speak like what did,
4: did you have was that a process for you?
6: okay so there's two questions in one there one yeah, is yeah. about how do I balance like getting up in front of people and speaking, yeah, yeah. Where I had been used to speaking in front of hardcore right audiences. to an audience that's like already yeah.
4: familiar with who you are. Totally. And then the other
6: question is about is about juggling slash speaking engagements for audiences of people who are certainly not hardcore kids who yeah, are sometimes yeah. in suits, sometimes corporate in right. audiences, but other times organizations or uh, universities, things like that. Right. Okay, so I'll answer both of them really succinctly. Yeah. Okay. Because I grew up in a house where my mom, just to single her out, was extremely communicative and emotional, empathic, just intuitive and brilliant communicatively. I've always felt comfortable speaking in front of people, whether that was in in high school, college, what have you. So to answer the second question first... Going from hardcore to speaking in front of audiences that were not hardcore related, mm-hmm. no problem. I mean, put me in front of a, a group of 400 knitting grandmothers, put me in front of truck drivers <laughs> from right. Chicago, whatever. I have no idea. Right, no problem. Bring it on, people. I love people. Right. So, in terms of the the juggling in the like organizational university or corporate environment, the only part that always irked me Mm -hmm. was how to maintain artistic integrity amidst this. When somebody's saying, listen, we need a 60 minute presentation from you. It'd be great if it was themed to communication. And this is, you know, we negotiate, you know, pricing and whatnot, and then the details and then you're on. Right. How do I serve the client while serving the audience, while serving Serving myself and serving the art more than anything else? Right. That was always the question. Over the years, I've changed my focus quite a bit, and uh, meaning I I now bring so much more of myself and the ethics and values that that we relate to in punk rock and hardcore Mm -hmm. to all of my speaking engagements that I found that the clients who are calling me are recognizing that and calling for that rather than, oh, here's something visually interesting that we can bring into our blah, blah, blah event and have people be like, wow, for two seconds before they go back to the rest of their lives – I've lost interest in that in terms of being like a, hey, sure, I'll collect your money in exchange for a show. It's like, go go find somebody else. There's a million people who are visually interesting. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like, who cares? Yeah. I would rather figure out ways, as I always will be doing, figure out ways to take the ethics, values, and ideas that I've learned in punk rock and share them in ways with people who have not encountered them. And I don't care who that audience is. I don't care if it's the grandmothers. Yep. I don't care if it's people in suits. I don't care if it's structure, whoever it might be. How to make that happen. Artistically, mm-hmm. way more interesting for oh, me. Oh, totally. And I think that in terms of the impact on the audience, it's way more interesting. Because when someone's standing in front of you and they're, they're doing a thing that they're not fully connected with, you can just tell. Oh, yeah. Theatrically. It just drops over. off. It sure. Just drops off. Yeah. So, and I watch some videos of myself. I've got tons of videos of myself doing oh, I presentations. Can you know, and I watch them. I'm like, what was I doing? Like, right. why wouldn't I just be at a day job that I couldn't stand? Yeah. You know, I don't care that I, I'm juggling it, you know, but <laughs> it, it, it's cool, right? Yeah, yeah. But so the, the bottom line, how to bring more and more of my artistic and personal integrity to serve audiences in a way which gives them more and gives them more authentically.
4: Right. Well, because I mean, ultimately the, the people that you want to like work with and hire you are the people that should want to hire you in the sense of like they there, there should be a, I mean, just even at least a topical interest in you to be like, Oh, like Greg would be perfect
6: for this. Exactly.
4: Because uh, yeah, exactly. otherwise you're just otherwise you're just like a plug and play face. It doesn't matter. You nailed
6: it. Yeah, Year, yeah. For years I was doing juggling shows at fairs and festivals around the country, right? Yeah, so yeah. Orange County Fair. I did Orange County Fair for years. Okay. I did, you know, the East Wenatchee Armpit Festival and this that festival right. whatever. I, I made that one up, but it's not far off from the truth. No sure. offense to Wenatchee Washington. Right, right. <laughs> but I was doing seventy Dates a summer, you know, at fairs and festivals, trying to squeeze in tours and hardcore shows and whatnot and miss that. And then I realized that these people were hiring me not because of me or what I was bringing to them. It was because they needed a juggler. Yeah, 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 yeah. Who cares? Right, right, like, right. Wh- why bring, go, and they were literally deciding between the juggler, the magician, <laughs> the tightrope walker, the fire eater. You no know I mean? names involved. Just, just, what do you do? What do you do? Can you show up here at this time? Totally. Totally. Like sometimes I would have conversations with people and they'd say, we're either thinking about hiring you or a magician. What would you do? And I'm like, I don't know. Maybe I would throw and catch stuff. I, I, yeah, I can't even
4: believe that it would be. That, that's like the worst job interview question. Yeah. It's like, where do you see yourself in five years? You're really going to ask me that right now? Yeah. How am I going to be better than magician? I don't know. I, I don't
6: know. Yeah. Gonna more, uh, uh, how is he going to be How is the magician? She's right. going to stand up. He's going to stand up and do tricks. Right. I'm going to do tricks. I wonder which of our little tricks will entertain right. you more. <laughs> And I just want—I want to be like. Listen, excuse me, just for one second, while I hang myself. Totally. That's my answer to your question. <laughs> right. So I literally, about six years ago, dropped all. Just of Just unplug medicine, that. Sure. All of it. Yeah. I went from. Having my entire year based around that industry, in the winter, I would go do trade shows for fairs and festivals oh, sure. where I would be pitching people, taking them out to lunch. Hey, good to see you. Helen, I love your shirt. Jim, let me buy you lunch. All this crap, schmoozing people uh-huh. to get them to hire me in the summer. That was my life for almost a decade. And wow. one day I went, no more. And yeah. I cut it all off. Yeah, And my income dropped drastically and my happiness level went through the roof okay and it was then that i said huh maybe instead of just being a juggler maybe i can be greg who is a speaker and communicator maybe i can go out on the road and do spoken word tours because all of a sudden i had my entire year now wide open right you're like oh there's opportunities right and i would rather turn down that money from being a juggler and focus on the clients and people who are calling me saying You know what? I heard that you did an incredible job at this one event and left people feeling, thinking this, that, or the other thing. I'd rather go after those events.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's I mean that that, that's a such an important point for a person to realize that in their own lives. So where it's like you do, you know, I presume that you did you were hitting bottom in like you said, your 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 happiness meter, so to speak, where you're hitting bottom. And it's like only when you kind of get to that, you know, you start scraping the bottom, that's when you're just like,
6: Oh, Oh, I'm on the wrong path. Totally, And, and just, so you know, I've never talked about any of this stuff in an interview. So you
0: found I, Yes,
6: I've uncovered it. I, I, I knew we would get there. It'll,
4: t- it'll take us 40 minutes, but that's totally fine. Um, there's two last things I want to hit on. You're not married. Right. Have no kids. Right. You travel a ton right? there and you, you, you are by all sense of the terms. And I just use this in the sort of, you know, the hardcore punk world where it's like, you know, I mean, I'm 33 years old, I'm dead practically because like, <laughs> you know, that, I mean, it's a young person's game. It's like, you know, there, the, the, the quote unquote scene will always say the same age as we get older. You've experienced a lot of things that obviously don't keep you quote unquote rooted from the set, you know, the modern life sense of the term. Um, it, are there are I presume that's a deliberate decision on your part, meaning to be the, the the unrootedness where it's just like, OK, I, you know, like, do you want to be married or do you want to have kids? Like, are these things that exist in your life or, or are these things that um, most people want to introduce in their lives? Is that a deliberate decision that you are not interested?
6: Oh, in? so I'm saying like, oh, all of you are married and work boring jobs. Therefore, I will not be married or work. Bo- yeah. No, my answer right, right, is no. Right, right. Um, that. It's not necessarily a deliberate decision to not be married. If, I, if okay. I met the right partner, sure, would I be married? Maybe. Sure. If we decided that marriage was the thing we wanted. You right, know. right, right, right. Would I want to have kids? Sure. I think having kids is preceded by having a stable relationship. Sure. I think that that's, that's yeah, a yeah, plus. Yeah. yeah, it is a plus. I mean, having kids, I guess, like biologically, physically is possible at all times. I'm sure I could of course. make that happen. Right. <laughs> but I would rather have them in a context that was nurturing for the, the, the child to be. Sure. So... At the same time, I really, really do like the freedom that I have currently in the mm-hmm. ways that I have it in the context of, you know, people who have kids sometimes say, you know, oh yeah, I'd love to be touring, but I just, I just can't, you know, now that I Yeah, kids, of course. You can tour if you have kids yeah, you can. Like totally. You it can. just takes more planning. Exactly. Right. So in the moment, the freedom that I have, the way that I have it, I'm liking. Would mm-hmm. I change that in a second? Sure. Why not?
4: Sure. Okay. Yeah. No, the, yeah. the reason I asked that is just because it, it, it is one of those things where it's just like certain people um, you know, you, you totally see that that real life wall hit so many people in youth culture. That's like, oh, whatever. You know, they're twenty five and you know they get married and have a kid, and it's like, you know, they proverbially drop out of the of the creative lifestyle. Even if it's just attending shows, which it's not like, you know, you you don't. It, no one's being like, oh, dude, you're only at fifty shows this year. Like, right. <laughs> I don't know about that, man. You're not really participating in the right. scene, but it's like you definitely hit. People hit that wall. You've obviously gone. Far past that, you've blown through it in many different uh, respects. Um, and so it's like, it. the point I'm trying to make is just like illustrating the fact where it's just like, yeah, like whatever decision you make, you know, whether it's like, okay, you are going to be involved in, in you know, marriage, kids, whatever, um, or you're going to eschew that for a few years because of you're pursuing all these other things. Um, but you yourself, I just wanted to, I, I, because so many people draw definitive lines in the sand, where they're like, "Oh, I'm never fucking having kids. Oh, I'm never fucking doing that, or whatever." But you obviously haven't done that yourself.
6: Yeah, no, I, I haven't thought that. I do, I do like the fact that you know people will write me and say, "Hey, what, 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 do, you, what do you think about a spoken word tour in Europe in two months?" I'm like, "Sure,
4: well, yeah. Why not? I'm thinking, yeah. yeah, I'm thinking, yeah, I'm
6: thinking, thinking, why not? You know, <laughs> right, I'm right, thinking about <clears throat> doing exactly that. Like I have this idea, I want to do a spoken word tour in Europe next spring. Yep. Followed by, there's going to be some trial South America finally tour. And then I want to do spoken word, South America, and in my mind I'm not thinking, "Huh, if I do that, my child starves to death. Maybe I should rethink my right, plans. right." Which is cool for the moment. At some point, who knows? Maybe yeah. I'll who, be- knows
4: the, who knows? Who knows Yeah, you're you're not closing yourself to to those opportunities cool. or the, those possibilities. Yeah, yeah. Now keep
6: in mind, yeah, yeah. you have said that you're 33, and right. Therefore, you're 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 done. I'm you're, dead. You're I mean, dead. I'm dead. So that means that. I, given that I'm older than you, yeah, I'm yeah. like like the the mummified corpse of Ramses the Second. One hundred percent.
4: You should not even be alive in that sense. Of so the term.
6: I am the the, right. the the automated corpse of Greg that was. Right, right, right. Exactly. Excellent. Good. Yeah, At yeah. yeah. You establish that. You're somewhat of a hologram. Excellent. I'm, uh, <laughs> that's that's too advanced of a technology. I know I'm that's a, true. Like just imagining myself like this, just sand encased, like cloth wrapped mummy. <laughs> Well, I'm glad, I, I'm glad I'm really building you up here. You know, young till I died. A mummy who's just like with a, with a heart.
4: And that's the thing. Well, because I, 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 I think the, the alive notion shows to the fact where it's just like, yeah, I mean, I joke about that because it's, you know, there's truth to that. Like our age obviously does, you know, we have references that a 14 or 15 year old won't have. Mm-hmm. But the fact that we're still active, the fact that we still contribute to the scene as it were, and not because of a sense of obligation, but it's just like. I don't know what else to do.
6: Or rather, why would we not? Right. I I had a conversation the other day in an interview with somebody who said, you know, you seem to be doing the same things you were doing when you were a kid. And I'm like, yeah, like punk rock. You know, I always wanted to learn how to Rubik's cube. I always wanted to metal to juggling, speaking, communicating. Of course, why would I not be doing the things which meant so much to me then if they continued to mean so much to me? It's not that I couldn't do something else. Like, like I said, archery before. I've never really tried it. I could devote my life to archery tomorrow. Why would I do that, though, if these things still mean so much? A lot of people, I think, drop out of punk rock and hardcore because they it's, they either, like you said, hit the wall or they think, I'm too old for this and I really should be doing something else. I don't belong in this anymore. That's very true. Yep. Why don't I belong? You know, like, you know, how old is old? All ages show, right? One of the most right. influential songs on my mind in life <laughs> ever. Why would... Why would I change just because other people tend to think of hardcore as the domain of those who are younger chronologically in years? Like, Mm -hmm. why would I do that? I'm not living my life based on what people think I should be doing in terms of my work, creativity, and job. Why would I be – Make that decision about myself based on hardcore. It's crazy. That, that would be that would be crazy. Right, 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 right. So I uh, I'll be hopefully stage diving for years to come, right? You know, and <laughs> playing hardcore shows and being involved and going on tours. Like I and I've never even considered an end. I've right. never even thought about
4: it. And I, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that like both you and I have deliberately structured our lives to always be participants in it. You know, because I, I think a lot of people. You know, a a lot of people don't uh, maybe don't think either that far in advance, or they don't—they're not afforded the luxury to think about that um, of how they can participate, even though they may be removed. Like some of the most valuable feedback I've got on this podcast is the fact that, you know, this whatever a person—you know—just a random example of a guy emailing me, being like, "Oh, I have five kids. I don't really go to shows anymore, but listening to your podcast makes me feel connected to the people that were in the scene when I was going to shows, the people that have." Gone past me and are younger than me, and it's like just that connectivity will, like, that in and of itself, they're plugged into the music again. Totally, and it's like that's to me, that's the most important thing you can take away. Where it's just like, yeah, just,
6: you, there are ways for you to stay involved, it's just a matter of like finding what that path is. I was in Portland, Oregon, mm-hmm. a few months ago, and I went to see Vic Bondi mm-hmm. play. An acoustic show. Okay. Vic sang in the band called Articles of Faith in Chicago right. many, many, many years ago, and then in bands uh, Jones, Very, Alloy, and he has a new band actually, which is which is quite excellent, and uh, their record just came out on Bridge Nine. And but he was playing an acoustic show in a small bookstore, anarchist bookstore, and he had an acoustic guitar. And he played that guitar the second – I didn't know what to expect. I'd never seen him do an acoustic show. He rarely does acoustic shows. Mm -hmm. But he came out, sat down, he's tuning, he's like, hi, my name is Vic. And he starts playing, you know, Alloy, Jones, Varian, Articles of Faith songs, and I think some new ones as well, just with an acoustic guitar. And he was just going for it. Mm -hmm. The intensity that he played these songs – and I'm not an, an immense fan of all those bands. I like those bands, but right. I can't sing along with all those songs. It's not like I'm like fanboy, like watching Vic going, oh my gosh, I know every single note. Right. Rather, I was just watching a guy play guitar passionately based on his punk rock roots and past and present. He played that guitar and blew my mind. And everyone in that place was just decimated by how potent it was. And I thought, wouldn't this scene be so much more interesting if instead of when people got to 25, 30, 35, 40 and said, I quit, what if they brought their history and what they were enjoying now back into the scene? So you've got a Vic Bondi who, to his credit, again, is still rocking so hard with a hardcore band, but instead was saying, you know what? I've been playing acoustic guitar for a while. I want to show you what I've got now. And yeah. what I'm bringing this now. Wouldn't our scene be so much more interesting, if people were coming back in again and again and again at older ages, right. chronologically, with where they were at currently, that would be so fascinating, so incredible.
4: Dude, I, honestly, I'd never even thought about music in that context. I mean, especially just like hardcore and punk, whatever. Independent music, punk, hardcore, like youth-driven music definitely had. I mean, it's very similar to obviously how we treat old people in our culture where it's just like, like let's just put them in a home. Like, let's just get them out of here. Like, what, what are they – what do they have to offer besides – 70 years of history and context and life and it's like you do feel that where it's like you know you get there's there's that sort of like put out to pasture where it's just like oh yeah like they're they're (laughs) they're yeah what are they what are they really doing is that really of interest to to the youth of today um but it's like yeah like of course it should be because it adds texture and it adds totally vitality absolutely so, yeah, well, I guess we have that to look forward
6: to. I know I, we do. Absolutely. As long as we remain actively engaged. Yeah. And I encounter this sometimes when I'm in Europe and you, and you do interviews. And I find this a lot in Germany where people are very straightforward. Oh, and yes. So, you know, you get an interview question. It's like, you are very old, right. yet you are still at this hardcore show. Why is this? And you're just like, again, it's just right. one of these moments. You're just like, I have to kill myself right, right now. Right. <laughs> and then you say, wait, no. Hold no, on. No, no, hold on. That's, you know, this the social messaging. And I say, right. you know what? I... I Tend to be older than most hardcore. Kids. Right. That's fine. Um, but uh, here's why I'm still here, and then right. kind of you know lighten the mood a bit with some emotion and connection. But yeah, so I end up encountering that question quite often, and that that idea. And as as I get older, yeah. I, I keep thinking to myself, like, why would I change anything? Right. And and what more could I bring to to hardcore? What more could I bring to the creative elements of hardcore? Or with a band, with spoken word touring, you know, with website. Whatever it might be, do that it. that gives more back based on where I've been, what I've seen, what I've done. Right. In hopes that other people do the same instead of just dropping out.
4: Yeah, no, it's I, I, I don't think there could be a more appropriate cherry on top of that, that vegan Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much for hanging out, Greg. I I am glad we uncovered stuff that you haven't spoken about in an interview. That's a heart I I feel absolutely I feel like I got somewhere I don't care if you got anywhere no No, I
6: got I got quite quite a lot of somewhere (laughs) well because the thing is in interviews all the time people are asking these days the same sorts of questions like tell me about 100 for Haiti tell me about Spoken Word tell me about Trial Between Earth and Sky whatever it might be which is great of course but I love the fact that we went into some new areas and some new angles yeah and if people have any questions about anything that we've said so far today get in touch anytime happy to talk to anybody and he'll do an interview with you absolutely (laughs)
4: So that was Mr. Benick. Visit his website, wordsisweapons.com. There's so much there. It's just, it's a great resource. It will hopefully get you inspired in in being active in whatever it is you care about in some capacity. Because I, I think that's that's the tendency that we all get, no matter how old we are, it, stuff's hard. Like <laughs> caring about stuff is way harder than just being apathetic and kind of just, you know, cruising, coasting back. And that's kind of that's kind of all I'm going to do. It just takes people like Greg for me personally to kind of see what I aspire to. Where I'm just like, yes, I want to. I want to be engaged in almost every aspect of my life. So Greg is a perfect example of that. So I just, like I said, I couldn't heap more praises on him. And I know that basically everybody that has met him kind of says the same thing. So thank you very much, Greg, and our producer, as always, is Tom Richfield. We got to hang out in real life recently, and it was oh so special. I took it bowling took him to Denny's. I know that sounds pretty random that I would do those two things in regards to a person traveling from the UK, but I was like, I want to give him the true American experience. So we had a lot of fun and I can't thank him enough for doing this show with me. And uh, yeah, that's it. I'm tired. Hopefully keep, keep your positive thoughts for me as I continually deal with this plumbing mold issue. It's just, it's a total headache. And I hope that you don't have to encounter that anytime soon in your life or ever for that matter. So until next week, Be safe, everybody.